last week <clears throat> on Tuesday was voting week. Um, uh, but prior to that, on Sunday, uh, we talked about submitting to government authority. And now even when things in government or in the political realm don't maybe go exactly the way we want it to, that God is still in control. And we can trust that God can use those that he allows in positions of authority, even if they're not the people that we think should be in there. <clears throat> God can use them to further his purposes and plans regardless. Um, last week after the election, some of you might be looking at the results and you might be happy about some of the results and you might be sad or slightly discouraged about some of the other ones. And I just want to encourage you again to hold loosely uh, to this foreign land that we're living as pilgrims in. Uh, when we have our eyes focused on heaven as our home, we're better situated to kind of roll with the punches. Uh, we can retain our hope and our joy when we, we realize that this is not our end destination. Um, we did our part. We went out. We voted according to what we believe are biblical values. Now it's time to pray for those leaders that God will give them wisdom and that they will do well in their jobs. And then we need to move our attention into our mission field. Where has God placed us? How can we be God's hands in our homes, in our church, in our community? Those government leaders, they have their sphere of influence, um, but we also have ours. So we need to be good Christian workers um, in, those, in those areas. A couple weeks ago on a Wednesday night, uh, we started reading through Isaiah 58, and Isaiah was talking to Israel uh, about their sin and also talking to them about their fasting. And in this passage, he says that even though the people were praying and fasting for their nation, they were doing it with either uh, wrong motives or with a closed heart, and they were not allowing God to change them to be used by God to be part of the solution. And the chapter goes on to kind of define what that life might look like. It describes uh, someone who looks at their own area of influence and changes how they interact with people by telling, he, he told these people, he said, stop blaming and stop arguing um, and start being kingdom workers. <clears throat> We're supposed to be workers that bring God's justice and mercy to the areas around us. It says, um, lighten people's burdens, free the oppressed, share food, give shelter, give clothes, and help your relatives. And here's the good part. Sorry about that. Here's the good part. So after doing these things, after submitting to what God is calling them for heart change, he gives them a promise. He says, then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then it goes on in verse 10. It says, feed the hungry and help those in troubles, trouble. Then the light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like well-watered gardens. Some of you will rebuild the desert ruins. Um, You'll be like well-watered gardens, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the desert ruins of your cities. Then you'll be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. God has prepared in advance good works for us to do, that we can be a light into the darkness. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Now then, we are ambassadors 
for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. Last week, when we closed the message, we ended with James 3.18, which says, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So let's take a moment and let's pray for our government leaders and let's pray that God would help us individually and as a church uh, to plant seeds in our communities, in our homes, in our work, our schools, in our neighborhoods. So let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you that you are sovereign, that you're in control, that we can put our trust and hope in you. Lord, we just pray for the, these newly elected leaders or re-elected leaders, Lord. We just pray that you would um, give them wisdom. We pray that if their heart needs a heart change, Lord, that you would begin to soften their hearts to know you and to hear your voice and follow your plan. Lord, we just pray that you would use them regardless to bring forth fruit for your kingdom. Lord, we don't know what that looks like in our country. Maybe, maybe it looks the way we, we hope it should. Maybe, maybe it's through suffering that your kingdom grows, Lord. But we just pray that above all, regardless of what, what our desires are, Lord, that your purposes and your plans would be accomplished in this country. Lord, we pray that you would lift up us, us up as individuals, Lord, as you promised that as we uh, are your hands and feet into our communities, to people around us, that, uh, that you will pour out your blessing on a nation that, that is like that, that is serving, that is humble. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see needs, help us to, uh, to see the resources that we have that we can offer. And Lord, help us to do all of these things tied with your message of salvation for the world around us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> well, today uh, we're going to keep moving forward. We've been going through First Peter, um, and uh, Peter's been encouraging us to hold on to the hope that we have in heaven and teaching us what it looks like to live a holy life shining bright in the world around us. So we're going to be picking up in verse 18 where Peter is continuing on the topic of submitting. Now, you shouldn't look shocked. You shouldn't be surprised. I did give a spoiler last week that we were going to be doing this, so if you look surprised, I'm going to know you weren't listening. So, <laughs> all right. But uh, First Peter is going to move into an area that, uh, that we maybe we don't see in our culture today, but is actually still really prevalent within the world. Uh, it, he's going to talk about slavery Slavery, there's actually more slaves today than when slavery was abolished in our country. And so um, maybe not percentage-wise, but numbers-wise, uh, you know, in the world, there's, there's still slavery out there. And so um, Peter's talking to a group of slaves uh, that, that are still under a, a master. So 1 Peter 2.18 says... You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and unreasonable, but even if they are cruel. So just to give a little more context here, um, like I said, slavery, slavery was very prevalent during this time. Um, in Rome and around Italy, the, it's estimated that somewhere between 25 and 30% of the population was slaves. Also, 
Um, these slaves, the average age of death for these slaves, if they made it to the age of 10, was only about 17 and a half years old. Uh, just staggering. They had little hope of being freed, but their best chance was if somehow they could win the favor of their master. We have to remember that during this time, Jews and Christians were disliked. Uh, they, they didn't have a lot of power or influence over the elites. The elites, of course, were the, the one and a half percent that had political power and had money, and they were also the ones that owned about half of the slaves that were in Italy and Rome. So slaves during this time, they were viewed as, as having no persona. Uh, it was, was kind of the, a term that was becoming popular during that time. Um, they, they were not owners of their own body. They were seen as having no ancestors, no name, no nickname, no goods of their own. They were not treated as if they had a history or as if they had a future. So when it says, slaves submit to your master, this is the life that this slave was living. Um, this is the person hearing that is, is hearing it in this, this circumstance, this situation. So as we read it, we have to hear how they might have heard this. So we move into verse 19. It says, For God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're being beaten for doing wrong, but if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. So Peter's words let these slaves know that even if the Roman Empire says that their life has no meaning, God sees them. God sees their works. God is paying attention to them. And whether or not they're able to gain the favor of their earthly masters, when they serve well, they can know that when they serve well and they're doing what God desires, they can know that they are pleasing their God in heaven, somebody greater than their master, somebody who sees them and cares for them. <clears throat> Peter goes on in the next verse to let them know that not only does he see them and offer them favor, but Jesus came, that God came as a man and suffered and demonstrated for them how to endure it, how to endure that kind of suffering. In verse 21, it says, For God called you to good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow his steps. Peter lays out two main areas to focus on in the example of what Jesus displayed when he was suffering on the cross. God's call for us to do good, even if it means suffering, is really critical for us to catch because as we move into chapter 3, we're going to see the, the next two exhortations are going to start off with, in the same way, husbands, and in the same way, wives. Now, this is not saying that suffering or marriage equals suffering. It's not, it's not the point. <laughs> the point is rather that regardless of how you're being treated, regardless of what you're experiencing, our job is to honor God by doing what is good. So we gotta, we got to catch how these slaves are experiencing this, and then we have to figure out how do we apply that in marriage. Um, this section is kind of like a worst-case scenario, right? You, you can't have a worse case than the relationship between a slave and a cruel master. There's no other relationship where there's that kind of 
uneven balance of power. Um, and, and remember, they're not just a slave, they're a, they're a child, a child slave of a cruel master. So these children were encouraged to please God by serving well, even though, and even well, they were enduring suffering. How much more should we be able to serve well to our bosses or to our leaders or even our spouses? I mean, our bosses may not always do things the way that we think that they should be done, or maybe they don't show us the kind of appreciation that we think that we should receive, but it's a far better situation than what these slaves are experiencing. So Peter is encouraging us to please God by serving well. Uh, moving on to verse 21, Jesus, uh, it says that Jesus is our example, and you must follow in his steps. So, step one, it says, obey God's commandments and be honest. Uh, when we look at uh, verse 22, it says, he never sinned or ever deceived anyone. So, even when Jesus was persecuted, he never sinned. Even when his life was on the line, he never deceived anyone. Uh, Jesus was honest. He was a man of his word. Seventy times in the Gospels, he uses the phrase, truly I tell you. He wants us to know that he is trustworthy. And as we're, as we're reading these verses, again, we want to remember the audience. These are often young kids who are afraid of punishment. Um, and and Peter's, Peter's acting as a father to them. So I don't know if you remember your parents telling you or you ever telling your kids, you know, it's better for you to, just be honest to start with. You know, and the punishment's going to be more severe if they find out later that you're lying. Not only does, God, does obeying God um, please God, but these are, these are practical instructions that are going to lead to a blessing and help keep us out of trouble. In Genesis, uh, we see example of how living a holy and honest life uh, helped a slave named Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, um, and then he was sold to an Egyptian officer named Potiphar. In Genesis 39.6, it says, So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned, and with Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except for maybe what food to eat. Doesn't that sound like the life? It's the only thing you have to worry about is what I want to eat today? He trusted Joseph with everything. And when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him, verse 8 says, But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He's held back nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God." Joseph was in the position he was in because he followed step one. He obeyed God's commands, and he was trustworthy. So that's step one. Step two, don't return evil for evil. When you look at verse 23, it says, He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. And uh, we see this scene that he's referring to uh, acted out 
in Matthew 27, verses 39 through 46, it says, The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you are the son of God, save yourself. Come down from that cross. <clears throat> the leading priest, the teachers of religious law, and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he is the king of, the, of Israel, is he? Let him come down off the cross right now, and we will believe him. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants, if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the revolutionaries who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. But Jesus, rather than retaliating in the midst of all this, he forgives them. He says, forgive their wrongs because they know not what they do. So if we look back, if we go back one chapter and we look at chapter 26, um, and we see when Jesus was arrested and Peter cut off the ear of one of the servants of the high priest, Jesus responds to him and rebukes him and says, do you realize that I could ask my father for a thousand angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? So even on the cross, Jesus had the ability to retaliate. He could have called, called a thousand angels in an instant, and they would have came. And on top of that, at least from a human perspective, he had reason to retaliate. I mean, he's being mocked, he's being tortured, and, he, and, 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 unjust, and unjustly on top of that, he had <clears throat> good reason to retaliate, and he had the ability to retaliate. But thankfully, Jesus was not merely human, but was and is God and being one with the Father, he did not hold on to what might have seemed his right as a human, but instead he submitted to the Father's kingdom plans to redeem humanity to himself. Sometimes we feel like things are not just. We want people to get what they deserve, right? Excuse me. Um, I don't know if you've ever been driving down the highway and you saw somebody who's just driving crazy, like way faster than they should in the middle of a bunch of traffic, cutting people off. And then a little while later, you see them pulled over by a police officer and you laugh out loud, right? There, it's just, it's part of, 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 uh, of who we are. We desire, we desire to see people get what we think they deserve. Um, it's human nature to want to see bad nature, bad behavior punished. But Jesus, loving us and loving justice, did not only, um, not only did not retaliate, but he allowed God's justice to be poured out on himself. Jesus saw pleasing the Father as more important and trusting, more important, and he trusted that God was just. Jesus, as the example, um, we see that we are shown how to let go of our desire for retaliation and to not repay evil for evil by remembering that our sins and their sins have already been paid for. Uh, verse 24 says, He personally carried our sins 
in his body on the cross. And why? So that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. We please God by honoring Jesus' death and dying to our sinful nature, our sinful desires, and instead imitate the example that he showed us. Verse 24 ends with, by his wounds, you are healed. If you notice here, uh, Peter changes from from, uh, first person to second person here to to add a little bit of emphasis to them and and also to add it to us. Emphasis for us that we would see that it's it's by his wounds, by his stripes, that you were healed. They were for you. They were so you can be healed, and the blows that were taken in your place um, were taken so that you can be healed from the death that sin brought upon us. Second Corinthians five twenty one said, "He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf." so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Isn't that amazing? We sang these songs today, um, just talking about how God, how Jesus abandoned his own throne. You know, he came down and he, he submitted for us, forsaking, forsaking his rights. He laid down his life and loved us. And, uh, no matter how many times we, we can hear this message, it's just amazing to me how when we, when we pause, when we meditate on it, when we focus on it, and we, and we really, really hear it, like it has the ability to just overwhelm us again and again with a humble gratitude um, and just a loving thanksgiving. So, so, so amazing and so powerful as we move into how we, we treat other people with this example as the backdrop. So closing out chapter 2 in verse 25, it says, Once you were sheep, you were like sheep who had wandered away. But now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. So think about it. A sheep out on its own in the wilderness. There's nobody else out there leading it to green pastures. Nobody's out there to protect it from danger. Nobody's there to care for it. So when we look at this example of these slaves, this is exactly what they were feeling. This is, this is what they were experiencing. There was nobody leading them to anything good. Nobody cared about their future. There was nobody there to protect them from danger. Nobody cared about them at all. But now, says, but now they have a shepherd. But now they have an eternal hope beyond their current circumstances. And so now... When they and when we trust our souls to him, even in the worst situations, even in situations beyond what we'll experience, we can feel the comfort of having a good shepherd. Philippians 4, 7 through 6 puts it this way, very known verse. Be anxious for nothing. Why would you be anxious? Because you're in a situation that's not pleasant, right? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, as our shepherd, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Because we have a hope in God beyond our circumstances. All right. <clears throat> We're, now comes the fun part. We're going to move into 
marriage. <laughs> so we're, we're transitioning out of chapter 2 into chapter 3, and as we switch our focus from this slave-master relationship to the husband-wife relationship, um, you, you might feel like maybe your husbands need a, need a little bit more instruction, but as we dig into this, you're going to find out that, that in that one verse, there's actually maybe even more instruction than in the four verses for you women. So just, just hang on. Um, it, it could be that Peter maybe realized that once he said husbands and got their attention, he'd had to get those points out quick before he lost their attention. So, um, so when I do get to your point, husbands, I'm going to go a little longer than Peter. So just try and hang in there. All right. <clears throat> Peter, being a gentleman, uh, he's going to let the ladies go first. So in the same way, in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham and called him her master. You are daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. So like I mentioned earlier, <clears throat> these next sections start with in the same way. So in the same way that Jesus was obedient to the Father and showed grace to those persecuting him, wives, accept the authority of your husbands. <laughs> I can never be too careful. This, uh, I, I know that this is not a very popular verse in our culture today, but it's in the Bible. Uh, it's instruction that's given to us for marriage, and marriage is a soil in which we grow our families, and families are the, the foundation and the building blocks of our civilization. So if God is the one who designed marriage, and he has some instruction on how it's supposed to work, then we should be thankful to hear it so that we can have a well-working marriage and family and society. Amen? Amen. Amen? All right. God is a God of order. Submitting does not mean that one person is more valuable than the other person. It just means that we have different roles to play. Everybody has their own realm of responsibility and leadership. <clears throat> and this is so that there is order. In Ephesians 5, um, chapter, or chapter 5, verse 21 through 24, it says, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for him, um, out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For, husband, for a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. If your husband is living out his instructions that we're going to get to later, if he's living out his instructions well, then this is something that should flow rather smoothly as both husbands and wives 
are called to serve one another. If you're being treated well, it's kind of natural to just respond well, right? <clears throat> but in the other hand, us men are not perfect. I know this, this comes as a shocker to a lot of you wives. Um, but if we look again at the second part of this verse, it says, they put their trust, second part of verse 5, I should say, second part of verse 5 says, they put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. So what was the first thing they did? They trusted God. <clears throat> Before they could accept the authority of their husbands, they put their trust in God. And Peter uses Sarah as the example. So think about it. Sarah, not once, but twice, was kind of thrown under the bus as, as Abraham kind of denied her as being his wife and just said, just, just go, go along as my sister. <clears throat> and then he handed her off to some foreign kings. Now, Sarah, um, she had to be going, just praying, Lord, I trust you to fix this, right? Because because nowhere in there does she yell out, he's my husband, right? Like he, he doesn't, he, he submits to Abraham's uh, stupid plan, and, and, he just, and he just trusts that God is going to fix it, right? First, we have to trust. So even if, even if your husband seems like maybe he's, He's a little bit off. Not saying you can't offer some advice, but, but just put your trust in God. Put your trust in God, and then you can say, regardless if he screws up here, Lord, I believe that you're going to work it for good. All right. In the same way that Jesus was obedient and full of grace, wives submit, sorry, uh, full of grace, wives are to submit to their imperfect husbands in reverence to Christ. And as a witness to your husbands, that they might be won over to the obedience of Christ. I don't know if you've, anybody else has experienced this or seen this played out, but in my life this greatly impact, impacted me because my mom did this, displaying a Christian life to my dad, who then became saved. So um, women, don't underestimate the power of the role that you have in your marriages and how you can shape your husband without even saying a word. All right. Second thing that, uh, that Peter covers is beauty versus virtue. Uh, verses 3 through 5 says, uh, it talks about the outward beauty versus the beauty that comes from within. In verse 3, it says, Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. Now, some of you uh, may be grasping your chest, you know, uh, just feeling like, what? Like, I, I don't want to let go of those things. Uh, I love doing my hair fancy. I love beautiful clothes. And you better not be including shoes in that category, right? <laughs> just take a deep breath. Uh, it is not saying that you cannot enjoy these things. It doesn't mean that, uh, that you can't have them or that you can't wear them. It, it just means that you're not supposed to let that be what defines you. Uh, the New King James translation says, do not let your adornments be merely outward. Rather, let it be the hidden person of your heart. So, so you can have those things, but don't let that define you. Uh, verse 4 continues, and it says, you should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God 
This is how the women, how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. <clears throat> God's instruction for a great marriage is that it is important to be a great person more than it is to be pretty. Um, I, I, I am, I'm not going to say I've had tons of experience in this, but I, in marriages that I've heard about that, that things were rocky or rough, I've never heard the husband say that it was because his wife wasn't pretty. Always had to do something with their relationship, how they interacted, something about their character. Um, something there was making it not a healthy marriage. And it, I'm not saying it was all her fault. <laughs> just, just want to clarify that. Um, I'm going to get a bigger podium here, maybe one of them sneeze shields, just in case people bring fruit next week. Um, all right. So, Proverbs, if we want to look at what it means to be a wife of virtue, uh, Proverbs 31 gives a picture of a wife clothed in the beauty, from beauty with, from within. And I have to admit, this maybe seems like a weird section for a guy to like, I don't know. Um, but this is one of my favorite parts of the Bible. <clears throat> and I think it's, I think there's two reasons for this. One of them is because for a very long time, I was very eagerly looking for a wife. And, and it, you know, it didn't happen real fast. And so Proverbs 31 is where you go to see what kind of a wife you should be looking for. So when you have a lot of time to be looking, then you have a lot of time to be figuring out what that looks like. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so the, the second reason, the second reason that, uh, that this section kind of sticks out to me and kind of sticks in my head is because DC Talk uh, I don't know if you're familiar with DC Talk. They had a, a song that had this, this part, and, uh, or it had this verse kind of highlighted in there. And part of the song says, well, I'm looking for a girl who's virtuous because God laid it on my heart to search for this. So I open up the word to the book of Proverbs. The 31st chapter tells me all about her. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. A woman who fears the Lord, she ain't playing. Hear what I'm saying because I'm saying it clearly. She's the kind of girl I gots to have near me. So... Yeah. All right. Hey, uh, I heard a little laughter there, and I just want to say I never heard anybody laugh when Pastor Don would sing a hymn that was written before my time. You know, these, these are my hymns. All right. Um. Anyway, there's a line in that in that song where it says that charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Right, Mo, but um, then it moves on, to, or it doesn't move on. Actually, looking backwards, we see in in uh, thirty one ten it says, "Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies." So, so the beauty and the charm those are going to fade away, but a virtuous and capable wife she is more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her, and she will greatly enrich his life. So it goes on and it describes this virtuous woman as frugal and industrious, clothed in with strength, dignity, wisdom, kindness, and the fear of the Lord. So wives, in the same way that Jesus was obedient and full of grace, wives are supposed to submit to their imperfect husbands and be clothed with virtue. So, well, it looks like we're out of time, so the husband's part will have to... <laughs> No. 
No, I'm just kidding. I honestly, I've other than the fact that I looked up because I was reading this, I have not gotten used to looking at the clock. So I basically just keep on going till I run out of paper. So <laughs> just to be free of any any trace of deceit, just wanted you to know. All right, husbands, are you ready? Just do a word count. I do a word count. Yes. Uh, um, so First Peter, chapter three, verse seven, husbands says, um, in the same way, so just like the beginning of the wives section, it says, in the same way that Jesus was obedient to the Father and showed grace to those who were persecuting him, husbands, you must honor your wives, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. So I'm going to have the worship team uh, make their way up here. But uh, the first thing that, that he says to do is we need to honor her. The word honor here means to value. So looking back again at Proverbs 31, where I mentioned a couple times, she is more precious than rubies. She is valuable. In Ephesians 5, verse 28, it says, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. In marriage, it says the two become one flesh. We must love and value her as if she were part of our own body. It does not say that if she meets the criteria of Proverbs 31, then we're supposed to honor her. It just says that you must honor her. You must value her. Uh, Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 says, For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of the word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot, without a spot or wrinkle, or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. So, if husbands are to love their wives and give them honor in the same way that Jesus displayed, I remember the, de- the description that was of, of what Jesus endured on the cross. It says, if we love her in the same way that Jesus displayed, that means that even if she is spitting in your face, mocking you and beating you down, you are to love and honor her. <laughs> that, I mean, that's, that's in the same way. It's not about demanding justice. It's not about our right to retaliate, but we honor her in obedience to God, offering grace. Think about the grace we received, Right? Honor your wives. The second thing that he talks about is treat her with understanding. Um, Chapter 3, verse 7 says, uh, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. Now, if you thought the last one was difficult, we're supposed to understand our wives, (laughs) right? Now, I'm I'm kidding, but but only partially. Um, I don't always understand my wife, okay? Uh, 
She is oftentimes confusing to me. I love her, I honor her, but sometimes I have to work hard to understand her. And I think that that's kind of the point, that if we value her, if we honor her, um, then we're willing to do the work to understand her. Um, Men and women are different, right? You may have noticed this. There's there's been a lot of buzz lately about a documentary that's been going around called What is a Woman? And whether or not you're trying to find it by biology or whether it's just observing, you know, how we react in different situations, you know, our our attitudes, um, one thing is certain, we are different. As men... I am guilty of this sometimes, so husbands, other husbands, I'm not pointing you out. Um, I don't always take the time to try and understand. Sometimes I just want to get my answer and I want to move on. Um, but that is not how we show honor to our wives. That's not how we show them that we value them. So husbands, a challenge, let's try and do the work of understanding our wives so that we can do a better job of honoring them. The third thing that he talks about is uh, that she is weaker but equal. So uh, chapter 3, verse 7 again, it says, She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Back in Peter's day, physical strength had a much higher value than it does today. So when you're thinking about who he's talking to, this is a different sort of situation. Um, Because strength had such a high value, women were oftentimes not uh, held to the same level of value in society. And even in religions during that time, they were thought of as lesser in every way um, to all the other world religions. So as Christianity is is coming up, um, and and people are, this is a change. This is something different than the Roman gods that that other people served and the way that they they did their religion. Um, Women are equal in, in, uh, in God's eyes, equal in the gift of salvation, equal in, in, in our church body. And so um, that, was, that was one of the big changes that, that maybe, like I say, bigger revelation to them than it, it is to us. But uh, women and men are equal recipients of God's promises. The fourth thing that he talks about is he says to treat her well or your relationship with God won't be right. It says uh, in verse 3, 7, it ends there, it says, treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Husbands, we've been given a position of authority in our homes and with all positions of authority come higher expectations and with higher consequences for not meeting those expectations. So Peter warns us that if we don't honor our wives, if we don't love them in the same way that Jesus loved us, our relationship with God will be affected and our prayers will not be answered. So these instructions for us in verse 7, they're not just, um, they're not just suggestions. So when we, when we don't follow them, these are God's commands. When we don't follow them, these are sins that we could commit. So God is, is saying that how you are supposed to live, yes, there's blessings that come with that. Your marriage is going to be built up by following the the instructions that the designer gives us, right? He knows how it's supposed to work. There's blessings that come with it, but, uh, but you are sinning when you don't follow them, and sin always hinders prayer. Sin always affects our relationship with God. 
So in the same way that Jesus was obedient and full of grace, husbands, we are to honor and love our wives as part of our own body and show her that we value her by taking the time to understand her. Husbands, respect your wives as equal in value to God and treat your role in marriage to care for her with earnestness that your prayers will not be hindered. So we're going um, to be closing uh, with the last section, or not the last section, but the next section of First Peter. Uh, and it's, I referenced this in my first message, how in the middle of First Peter, he starts off with the word finally as if he's closing. Um, I'm a new preacher, so when I say finally, I actually will be closing. He's actually <laughs> going to go on for another two and a half chapters. So, um, so with that, uh, we're going to look at First Peter 3, 8 through 12. He says, Finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender-hearted, and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you, whether those people are, are your bosses, your leaders, or whether they're your spouses. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. What is that... That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you a blessing. For the scripture says, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your example. Lord, you died on the cross. You suffered persecution when you had a way out. You suffered punishment that was due us. And rather than retaliating, you endured it and showed us grace, Lord. And we just pray that as we look at the grace that we've received from you, as we look at how much more you endured than what will ever be asked to endure, Lord, we just pray that you would give us the ability, Lord, give us the heart and the mind to lay down what we might think is our rights or what we think is, is justice, Lord, and offer grace, offer the grace that you offered us. Lord, not just... Uh, not just to those that we love either, Lord. We were focusing today on, on how we submit to those in authority, Lord, we, we, to, and also to how we submit to, to our spouses, to our husbands, to our wives, Lord. Um, but Lord, help us to show this kind of grace um, as we go into our workplaces, whether it's our boss or whether it's a coworker, in our schools, whether it's a teacher or whether it's a, a student. Whether it's a, a friend or an enemy, Lord, help us to recognize that our sins have been paid for. Our sins have been forgiven. And, uh, and we can follow your example and show grace too to those whose sins have also been paid for. And they just need to receive that. Lord, let us be a light into the dark world, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. Amen?